Abba Yahweh, again, the opportunity that you give for me to share. Thank you for your enlightenment, Holy Spirit, for guiding me and bringing me this knowledge to be able to share to any that are hearing the words, listen to the message and go to your word, seeking your truth, knowledge and wisdom from where it comes from anyway. It comes from you, Father. What you share with me, I share, and they have the opportunity to do the same. Abba Yahweh, Aman. Yeshua, Aman. Parakletos, Aman. So, um, <clears throat> pardon me. I'm... Uh, I've shared with you that I'm I'm in class, and because it's a it's something important that I feel that I need to do because I want to be deeper involved with God, and I want Him to take me deeper than where I am and what I've done, and I want him to share that with me and I believe that in order to do that that this class is important part anyway <clears throat> excuse me we are we just got done finished with a book how to hear God um it was okay, but in my reading that, um, I found that it was, I, I felt it was lacking because there was more about the person that had written the book and, and not enough scripture. I mean, there were some good, there were good, there's good information. I'm not going to take away from the person, but. Um, I found it to be very much that way. Just like I've shared with you that theological wizards will tell you that the Bible is something that it's not or tell you that it's not something that it is. I have issues with things that are not truthful and things that are not straightforward and things that are not honest. And if it's done for their position and their attention, then it's no different than the Pharisees when they walk around with their high hats and their robes and all the ornamentation and the edgings on their robes and, and things so that people notice them. Um, I can't remember what that thing was called. I, uh, there's, a, there's a special word for it, and I thought I wrote it down, and I can't find it. I'm sorry for that. But it's um, it's... Basically, it's ornamentation. What they do is they have pieces of scripture that are in it and that they lace it around and they wear it on their forehead and they wear it in one arm and they do it only at festivals or holiday feasts. And that now piques my interest that I kind of overshot that I think a little bit in my previous reading and that they do that because more people are going to see them and basically the reason they do that anyway um, is to be seen this leather pouch or little folded over leather 
envelope is laced to their forehead. And it's embroidered and has designs on it. And then they wear another one on their arm, which is also embroidered with designs. Um, so their attention getting is what that's all about. That's the, that's the Pharisees' tendency for all these things. They want the attention and they want it to be as they say, and it doesn't matter what the truth is. And Jesus tried to get them to understand that. And when he chastised them, when he was in front of the Sanhedrin, and he told them that you wouldn't know the truth. And paraphrasing, because Jesus did not say this, but you wouldn't know the truth if it bit you. Because you speak the language of your father, and your father speaks and teaches lies. Because your father is the devil. Oh, so now Jesus did to the Pharisees the same thing that John the Baptist, John the Baptizer was doing to Herod, calling them out pretty much. And Jesus was doing that all along, but they didn't understand half of it. But they didn't recognize the truth because they didn't know truth. And this I share with you are the Pharisaical theological wizards and those that declare things that they don't really have any true knowledge of. And the only knowledge that they have has not been collected and turned to wisdom. It is only knowledge. So they have, this is a difference that someone has book smarts and someone has true knowledge and wisdom. And sometimes these theological wizards, because they put the word doctor in front of their names, everybody thinks that they are this brilliant, smart person. And reality of it is that they are actually fools. And you can find that in the book of Proverbs. You can find it in Psalms. You can find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All those things written down that Jesus declared. You got a problem with it, then go to the Bible. You don't want to listen to me anymore, that's fine. Get your knickers all twisted up in a knot, sit uncomfortably, and just don't listen. Because I've shared this with you before, I don't care enough to get agitated with you. I don't care for your validation, whether it is or isn't here. The only validation that I care about is coming from my Lord God Almighty and the leading of my Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit that comes to me, period. So if you are one of those theological wizards that practices deceit and lying and changing things and saying that, and the Bible, Jesus says this also, it's in the Bible, hello. There will come those that will say that good is evil and evil is good and sweet is sour and sour is sweet. It's biblical. So you have those individuals that are trying to tell you that the Bible is something it's not or that it isn't something that it is. Be cautious, pray the Holy Spirit to guide you and be careful of those individuals that declare these things because they are liars, they are deceivers, and they are not of the Lord. They are not of truth. And as Jesus said in the Bible, they are antichrist. Paul wrote about it. Peter wrote about it. James and John wrote about it. They are antichrist. There you have it. So... 
Be cautious of these folks and pray for them. Now back up to case in point. How to hear God. And this is this is something that's really profoundly and deeply interesting to me. And I and the Holy Spirit brought this to me just not too long ago. Um It's um, and then and and then he took me up to the book of Job, and I was reading through this because there are some specifics that I were looking that I was looking for. Because if any of you are familiar with what happened to Job, and if you're not, I'm going to run through it briefly. It's pretty long. Um, it's actually nearly the entire book of Job, but Job was a very profitable man. He had cattle, he had oxen, he had all sorts of properties and things. And in their culture, you didn't have to have money to be rich. You had cattle and livestock and you had houses with servants and, and Job had that. He had homes, he had servants, but the thing of it is that you have to understand and get your knickers all twisted up about servitude and all that stuff. It's not the same thing. In those days, they served the family. They lived with the family. They were paid by the family. They went grocery shopping with and for the family and for themselves, and they lived there. They had a residence, all medical, everything. All Everything was taken care of by the landowner or the homeowner. It was more that they were family than servants. So... Um, and Job had that. And Job had quite a bit. And then, of course, as the story continues, everything was taken care of. And pretty much in one fell swoop, one day, he was having a feast and had friends over and they were there. And then word came back to him that all of his children had died because they were having a meal all the children were having a meal in one house. Um, and they were visiting with one another and the house fell in. And then there were bandits that swooped in and stole his livestock. And then his wife was killed and his, everything was destroyed and Job was beside himself. But as the story goes on, Job never once cursed God. He cursed something that he must have done or had, had trespassed some way. And, but he never cursed God. He never, he never berated. He never once turned his face in anger to God. He asked God to take his life because he didn't feel like he had anything to continue for. His wife was gone, all his children were gone and everything he had prior was gone and taken. And then, of course, Satan came to the Lord and said that, oh, I can make him curse you. And, of course, God said, no, he won't. And so, I guess the... Uh, 
it was a, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but it was, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have a word for it, but Satan had, Satan told God that he could get Job to turn against him. And of course, God knew better. And um, Satan tried. And try as he might, but he couldn't get him to do it. And he would not and did not, and refused to do so. But in the story, if you read in the book of Job, um, we find that Job had some individuals that showed up, and of course they had their opinions and they had their, um, their ideas, and they... Pretty much they, what they did is they belittled Job and they put him down. And that would be Bildad, Zephar, and Uphaz. These were supposedly friends. And what the Holy Spirit brought me to remembrance is that um, in my native culture, in my history, my Native American history, is that when hunting parties used to go out, they weren't really in large numbers. Sometimes they were just a few, a few of the men. And they would go and they would spend days, days without speaking to one another. They use hand gestures. And sometimes if you see any military type movies, you'll see these hand gestures that are being flashed by the leaders and communicating with one another with these hand gestures, well, those actually originated with Native Americans, truthfully. They did. And they mean certain things. You can count with them without saying outwardly the word. You can point direction and you can communicate how many are before you or around you. And you can communicate all this by flashing your hand and fingers. And it was a silent communication. And you may wonder where I'm going with this and why I bring this up and how, what this has to do with hearing God. Well, here's the thing. Those men that went out on the hunting party were friends. Some of them were family related. They didn't have to go out and say anything. They didn't have to go out and speak at all. When they got done with the hunt and they got finished with, the, with what they were doing and they came back, they would talk when they got back. And this was a fairly common practice. And I bring that up because hear and ponder and understand. And this ties in with Job, and this ties in with hearing God, and really listen to what I'm saying. Don't just hear the words, but listen to what I'm proposing to you, 
and go to the word of God, read Job, pay attention. Perhaps the greatest oration from God may be nothing at all. Now, of course, there are going to be those of you that are going to get your knickers all twisted up. Theological wizards that are going to be out there. And oh, pa, 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 pa. Well, pa, pa, pa. Here's something that you have to understand that's very important. And I found this to be something with my very best friend that I grew up with until we were later and, and more adult than he he went his direction, I went mine, and I haven't seen him for a very long time, but I pray all as well, and I don't know how to get in touch with him. But we used to go out in the mountains on camping trips, and we'd stay gone for three, four, five days, and one time we went up and we were in the mountains for two weeks, and rarely said anything. Now, of course, there are going to be those that are going to say, well, how can that be done? How can you do that? I can't do that. Well, if you're really a friend, and here's where it comes to God's part in this. God has said that he wants to have a personal relationship with us, and he wants to be our friend, and he is our friend. And why cannot our best friend that you can ever imagine just come and be with us and not have anything to say? He just wants to come and have company. It can be done. He's the Lord God Almighty. Abba Yahweh, maker of all things made, the ancient days. Personal ends, author, finisher. My Maybe he just wants to come and sit and let me feel his hearness. Sometimes I've shared this with you that when he's here and he's sharing his hearness, I cry. Right now I can feel him. And he puts his arm around me. He's not speaking words, but he's telling me in such a profound way. He puts his arms around me and lets me feel his love. And then I start leaking and bubbling like a like an infant child. Can't help it. That's powerful. He's not saying anything, but I can certainly feel him. So what says that hearing God has to be verbal or oral? Maybe it's just a look, a smile, his company sitting with you and putting his arm around your shoulder and just sitting with you. I've had friends that have done that. Now, let's go back to the book of Job. We're going to go to the rule of faith here. We're going to go back to the book of Job. And Job had three... And I use the, the word friends in, in quotation marks. I'm not going to flash air quotes because those make me nuts. But he had three jackasses. Oh, pardon me. He had three friends that showed up. Bildad, Zophar, and Ilipas. 
They had nothing good to say to Job. They had to scold him, chastise him, and nothing good to say about what was going on, and that Job must have been at fault for something. And then when you get to Job 42, you hear what God has to say about the three asses that showed up. And God was not pleased with these three that showed up because they didn't speak any words of wisdom. They spoke no good thing. They belittled Job and tried to blame him for something that wasn't there, righteous or true. And at the end of all this, Job is talking to God, having conversation with him. And he tells God, he said, he tells God that I know that you are, can do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. And God comes down later and he tells him, he had a conversation with Job and then, and it was so that after the Lord had spoken and continue reading in verse seven, 42, seven. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job have. And everything Job had gone through, Job did not, did not renounce his faith in God. He did not curse God and he did not shake his fist at God. But he only spoke righteously of Hashem. Lord thy God. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you. God is honoring Job still and going on with honoring him because now they have to bring sacrifice to Job for all three of them, and he's going to bless it and sacrifice it and offer prayer for them. These that, of course, knew so much better than Job did himself. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant Job.
So everything that went on, Job still did not renounce God. And if you read Job, you can start in, roughly starts about the second chapter. It's kind of a, an introduction to what goes on. And then from that point all the way back to chapter 42, that's a pretty long, and that's what happened to Job. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Lost his kids, lost his family, lost everything he owned. He was basically living in a trash heap. It says that he went out on the pile of ashes, and this was outside of any kind of uh, settlement. And it was basically they were put all the garbage where everybody burned things, and it was left over. They would take it and pour it out there. Well, that's where Job was living. After having everything he had. Uh, but here we go. So, Elabaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Nemanite, went and did according as the Lord commanded them, the Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. God blessed Job mightily. He had got back more than what he had because he stayed faithful, he stayed true, and he did not renounce God. Even when these three supposed friends came and tried to tell him that he must have done something wrong and that he said this and he said that, yada, yada, yada. Not one time did they try to uplift him or, or speak good things about God. They didn't speak of God at all. God told him, I have a problem with you. Just like Jesus told John, write to these seven churches. Tell them that I have aught with them. Only two churches that John wrote to from the island of Patmos that Jesus did not say that to because they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And five of the seven, Jesus began the letter. He said, you know, you did this good. You did that good. He said, but I have aught with you, which means that he had something not so good to say. Further reading in Job 42, 11. Then came there him, him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him and all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him, except the Lord didn't do that. Uh, the Lord didn't bring the evil. The Lord allowed things to take place which he does. God doesn't bring anything. God doesn't bring condemnation or the wickedness. And brought upon him, every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold so that the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and a thousand yoke of oxen. Well, now you have to do math. Because remember, a yoke of oxen, oxen always comes in a pair in a yoke. A yoke is a pair of oxen. So Job actually got 2,000 oxen. And those were used for tilling the fields. They were used for whatever. And here's the thing. What I say about 
about wealthy, wealthy individuals in those days and in their culture is that these were loaned out to farmers or those that needed to have them to press grain press, grain mills, things like this, or to help till the fields, whatever it was for. And arrangements were made that payment was in um, either gold, silver, or part of the grain that was brought in. And that was paid to individuals like Job. And then he could take care of those that were called servants, but they were more like family. They lived there. He provided a house for them. He provided food for them. Everything that they needed, he would provide for on this plane of existence. Further in verse 13, he had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima. Oh, that's interesting. And I know that that got a whole bunch of knickers twisted up some years ago. I mean, such a thing. I mean, we grew up and we never even considered that. But then it became, it had to become this demonstrative thing that was really sad, actually, because it was really great. Oh, and since I touch on that, I'm going to share this and the Lord is, the Holy Spirit's allowing this to be done. Just so you know that Jemima, the one who, did the, the pancake syrup and all that stuff. <clears throat> she developed the formulation for making the syrup and she made that in a big vat on her own and it was actually a very wealthy woman and despite the fact that these, mm, those with a lack of knowledge foolishly made it a big deal and made it a racial issue, but what they didn't know is that their own cultural history she was actually quite wealthy. It was her formula, her recipe, that made the syrup for what it was. She was quite wealthy. And they put her name on it because it was hers. They didn't steal from her and they didn't call her that because of her skin color. They had nothing to do with that. That was her name. And she was a wealthy woman. She was a really good cook and she made this great syrup that they really liked. And I loved it when I was a kid. Didn't think anything about it. Having to do with skin color and it really didn't. Anyway, I share that because this name of Job's daughter, Jemima, and the name of the second, Keza, and the name of the third, Karenapuk. And in all the land where no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. And this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his son's sons, even four generations kind of calculate that by age. So Job had sons and his sons had, and his sons and his son's sons, and then his son's sons had sons, and then his son's son's sons had sons. So Job was a, uh, what do we got there? A four-time great-grandfather? And God blessed him. 
for being true and faithful. And <clears throat> the reason I bring that up also is because, let's go back over here, I'm going to uh, bring up those three that were belittling, degrading, and diminutive. Now, Elihu was the youngest of all of them. <clears throat> and he gave sway to these old guys that were going to, they were mocking Job. They didn't say anything good about God. And they continued on their rant for everything that had to be Job's fault that God did what he did. Which, of course, they spoke out of total ignorance and they didn't have any idea of what they were saying. So Elihu waited three days. He waited three days for them to finish their yakking before he stood up and finally had just enough of it. That's what he told him. He said, I've had enough. Pretty much, of course, I'm paraphrasing because it doesn't say that exactly in the scriptures, but pretty much he stood up and he said, okay, you three, shut up now. I've sat here and waited for three days waiting to say something <clears throat> and giving you respect because you are elders and knowledgeable except that you didn't display any of that. What you did display is lack of respect, lack of knowledge, lack of wisdom, and you did nothing except berate and belittle. He said, now it's my turn. And actually God honored him for that. And we can find this. I, I believe I marked this. Oops, I wrote it down, but I don't think I marked it. I apologize for that. I'm going to jump over here and make sure that I'm correct in what I'm saying. Oh, goodness gracious, what I do there? Oh, now I went to the wrong place. I am so sorry. I do that occasionally. I'm an old guy. Give me a break, please. So if we jump over here and we go to Job... And we can find the first mention of him. Ah, in Job 32. <clears throat> uh, Job 32, 2. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Bereshel, the Burite. Burzite. And the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. So Elihu was kind of mad at Job and that diminished because they were all not really speaking of God as they should have. Job was, but this youngster didn't recognize. And he thought that Job was being self-righteous. And it says that his wrath was kindled against Job because he justified himself rather than honoring God in it. And he actually did, though. But Elihu still spoke righteously, and he blasted the other three that came along. And he and was shared with them that these three guys that came along 
And these three came together and they couldn't find an answer, but yet they condemned Job. Had to be something Job had done and something Job had done against God. And Job, because Job was, in this youngster's eyes, was being self-righteous. He was not. If you read Job, you'll understand. And he says here in uh, verse 6, he said, I am young, and ye are very old, and wherefore I was afraid and durst not show you mine opinion. And he didn't speak, if we, I'm going to back up to verse 5. It says, when any of you saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then you got even madder. But he waited. I said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Not with these three. They just went off and started running off of the mouth about everything that was done. And it says here, the great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. And this is coming from that youngster. So how is that related to how to hear God? Well, that's very important because that's exactly what I shared earlier. Why does God have to come and say anything? God's my friend. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm going to tell you straight up, straight out, and I don't care who wants to argue against it or what, that God does not always have to come and say something. I've had friends that come over and sit, and we just kind of hang out, and, well, not so much anymore. I'm, I'm old, and they live far away, and some have died. Um, but they would come, and we would just have some coffee or tea or some refreshment and visit and maybe not say anything. And then after a little while, they take a look at their watch and say, you know, I should probably get going. And I'm like, okay, well, look, thanks for coming by. Is there anything you need or that I can do? And the response was no. So little hugs, shake of hands, and out the door they went. And that was a good visit. Doesn't have to be anything elaborate. Doesn't have to be a, a barbecue. Doesn't have to be a meal. Doesn't have to be much of anything at all. True friends could come and spend time with one another just for that sake. Why is it that God, when people say they can't hear God, it's because they're waiting for the booming voice of many waters, lightning, thunder, and they're always waiting for God to say something. Why? Why does God have to say anything at all? He doesn't. Doesn't have to say a thing. He can come just to spend time because he wants to spend time and be with his children whom he loves. And he wants to be not only your heavenly father, but he wants to be your friend and have a, a personal relationship. And the thing I shared with you with the, with the Native Americans, my heritage, my ancestors, 
used to go out and spend days and days at a time. When I was in the military, <clears throat> pardon me, these hand gestures and things that they used, all learned from Native Americans. Oh, indeed. And there will be those, of course, that will say that that's not entirely true. Well, yes, it is entirely true. The hand gestures that these operations teams utilize in the field without having to speak come from Native Americans. Exactly what we used to do when we were out in the wilderness, out in the woods. And you could communicate from a great distance away without having to, ah, over there, and then scare the animals that you were hunting away. Or if there happened to be someone that you were at enmity with, there it was there, you wouldn't alert them to the fact that you were there. You could communicate from a great distance and you learned how to keep your eyes on who you were traveling with. You learned how to pay attention. Saying that to say this, why do you not learn to pay attention to God? Why is it so difficult? God desires to be your good, good father. He desires to have a personal relationship. And yet, I hear so many individuals that say, I don't hear God. I can't hear God. I don't listen. I, I can't. Maybe because you're not listening. And remember, I shared this with you, and then I'm going to let you off the hook. There's a profound difference between hearing and listening. The word listening has to do more physiologically than just the science of hearing. Hearing has to do with physical science, with the reverberation and the vibration against the eardrum that causes a sound and you can hear things. You can't always make out what's being said. This is what I've shared with you when you go in and you have elevator music. You can tell that something is playing. You can hear it. But until you kind of lean in and listen to it, you won't even recognize it in some cases. In some cases, it's kind of loud. But what they're doing is they're just trying to give you a, a, a nice ambiance to be in there so you're not riding 15 stories in an elevator that takes a day and a half to get up there and just sit there looking around and counting tiles, but you have something... You're listening to something nice, jazz, blues, some nice music. But then if you're listening and you go really into the physiological and you're going in and now now the, um, the eardrums are picking up the vibration and it's going into your ear and you're able to hear what's being said. Not only hear it, but you can listen. And now you know and you recognize so perhaps the reason that you don't hear God speaking is because you're not listening. You're only hearing. You understand that? Okay, let's go a different route to help it to be clearer for you. Maybe he's not speaking at all. Maybe he's just wanting to be with you and spend time with you and nothing spoken was uttered. Maybe just there. I like it when God 
comes and he just visits sometimes. He does that really a lot, actually. And I love that when I'm back here studying. But we have to get past ourselves and get past that and remember that you need to lean in and listen. And I love my new study book. I love this now. I really like the author of this one. The other one I shared with you, I didn't like so much. This guy, I really like this fellow and his wife. Rick and Diane Boucher, and this is called Wholehearted. And the most up-to-date edition is the third edition. I guess he had to do some rewrites. But this is really good. There's a, It's filled with scriptures, and it's filled with good word on God speaking and God sharing. Huh, this is really great. I love that. It just happened in the Holy Spirit took me right here to this page. Again, the more we know the Bible, the more the Holy Spirit can quicken it to us in an ex experiential way. That means an experienced way, not just something that we know about, hear about, read about, that we experience it and speak to our hearts. It is a personal word that is expressly for us in the moment or a verse may jump off the page and strike us deeply, bringing light and revelation that draws us. Now, I'm going to share with you the footnotes. I shared this with you before. I'm going to share it with you again. Now, Logos and Rema come from the Greek. And depending on the context of how they're used, they can they can be used for the same thing. But the context of what's being said and shared is the important. And Greeks do that a lot. And usually in the Greek, logos is expressed as, how to put this, it can be expressed and shared as a library or the collection of word, or in some instances it can be shared and used as a, an armory. And rema, R-H-E-M-A, is a word that is used for word. And also for sword. You can draw the sword from the hogos. Now, here's where I do my analogy and my metaphor is that Logos is the word of God, the collective word of God, the whole Bible. And we call it the word of God. The Greeks would call it. But then Hrema is the individual scripture that comes out of the word of God that we can take out from the word and share it with others. And as was in the case when Jesus was confronted by Satan in the wilderness after he fasted for 40 days, that he drew Rema from Logos and he parried the sword of the devil who tried his best and failed miserably and then was run off. And then the angels came and ministered to Jesus. Hopefully that helps clarify it. 
And something else that I shared with you about white noise interference, which is shared by this author and pastor. And it's talking about how we so get so caught up in the voice of the world and the, and the speaking that comes from the world and that these are like radio waves that are constantly broadcasting, competing for airtime to hinder us from hearing from the one whose words bring life. What is that term that I call that? White noise. The white noise is that staticky interference that draws our attention and keeps us from focusing on God. Brothers and sisters, there you have it. There you go. You are in my prayers going out and coming in. Be blessed.